Incoming transmission from an unknown source. It seems to be urgent. Patching them through. They're calling themselves the Holonet Marauders. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Holonet Marauders podcast. I'm AJ, joined by my bombad Sith Acolytes. Or Jedi. I always say Jedi, but today they're Sith, Sith Acolytes. Today you guys are Sith that. Acolytes, I think. Uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> about Shadow of the Sith, this beautiful book behind me. There it is. And I think, guys, I think we have the perfect guest to talk about this. What do you think? You think? I, think I so. hope so. Maybe. Yeah. The <laughs> author himself, Adam Christopher. How's it going, Adam? <laughs> Hello. Good. I thought about... No, yeah, of, course. of course. It's our welcome, pleasure. Uh, welcome to our show. We've been chattering about Shadow of the Sith um, on social media probably ever since it was like announced. <laughs> and so we're very <laughs> excited and very excited that you're here to actually like chat with us about it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. I, um, you know, we, we adore the sequel trilogy here and we love those movies so much. And we've just been clamoring for more content around that era, whether it be shows, comics, books. Um, and, you know, this is one of the first big ones, I feel. Um, and, you know, it, you did such a great job uh, connecting the original trilogy to the sequel trilogy. And I have a question about that later on. Um, but I think all these guys thought the book was fantastic. I know Matt was looking so much forward to this like we all were. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I mean, this, this, was, this was my most anticipated Star Wars project of the year. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's so funny because, as you can see, the poster in the background uh that was it from star wars celebration yeah. you signed that um right and i yeah. and i was in line for like half an hour and i got i got i got up to you and i was like showed you my my background i was like i'm so excited for your book i can't wait and you were just like what's your name can i how can i sign your poster and i'm like yes i was so what pumped a nerd. i was oh so gosh. pumped yeah and that was yeah. the only yeah, one with, like... out of the three of us who got to go yeah that was funny because that was yeah most of those signings I was having like an out of body experience, um, like <laughs> signing posters. So yeah, I apologise for not recognising you. My God. <laughs> what? No, no you're probably you're probably signing thousands or something. It's though. all good. Yeah, but like um, I have got a zillion photos of the Clone Wars and Bad Batch cosplay, and Jamie is in every single one of them. Um, <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Hunter. Yeah. yeah, I was like, what's happening? The, the thing about, like, Star Wars Celebration is, like, you um, you cross paths with so many people and you don't even realize it until, like, way after. Like, there's a lot of people that I'm very close friends with now that I didn't even know at the last celebration, but we were sitting, like, right. two rows apart from them at, like, panels. So, like, you, you really yeah. never know how, like, things are going to, like, pan out like that. Um, and you always find someone at Star Wars Celebration. Um, uh, yeah. So... To, to get started, um, just for watchers, we will be diving into spoilers of the book for Shadow of the Sith eventually, but we're just going to talk a little bit about just like Star Wars in general first, but then we'll dive into the book, but just so people watching know. Um, Everyone so, go buy the book. It's, yes, it's amazing. Go buy go the book, buy read it. it, come back. <laughs> yep, right now. Um, so I think that like my biggest question like first off is uh, for, for you, Adam, is what is like your Star Wars story? Like what got you into Star Wars and how did eventually this opportunity come up for you to write Star Wars? Um, yeah, so I've always, I mean, I've grown up with Star Wars. Um, I'm from New Zealand and uh, my dad worked in advertising, which meant he did loads of business trips to places like Hong Kong and Japan, and he could bring back toys that you couldn't get in New Zealand. Uh, this is, I'm talking like early to mid eighties here. So I had the super privileged kind of Star Wars childhood where I could have all these toys that none of my friends had and uh, he would also like borrow a video machine from his work on a Friday night and on the way home stop at the video store and rent Empire Strikes Back like no point even taking me there to choose something because I always chose Empire Strikes Back so he'd just <laughs> he'd just go and pick it up and I'd spend the weekend watching Empire Strikes Back six times and I did this for probably most of my early childhood um, it's good though. <laughs> which sounds kind of like I would. It sounds like boring, and I was inside watching Star Wars and playing with the action figures and toys and stuff. But like forty years later, 
um, here I am having written Shadow of the Sith. So I think it worked out, you know? I'd say so. Oh, like, did, you did your homework. Yeah. You watched the movies. You played with the figures. And... I mean, it sounds like a great weekend to me, watching Empire six times and well, playing with like, action figures, right? So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is wrong with that? Nothing. Oh, it's perfect. Perfect. Sounds like a typical weekend now. Uh, yeah, that oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if um, if you were to live in the galaxy far, far away, like as yourself, what would you want to do? Like, what would be your job? You know, I'm kind of tempted to say uh, living in a cave in a desert and like slicing meat from whatever that thing was. <laughs> oh, yeah. that was because it's kind of like it's it's okay, it's a terrible job, but like it's kind of peaceful, and he's yeah. just chilling in this cave. Yeah, because exactly. um, like you, know? you could say like yeah, you could say like bounty hunter or something, but like that's too dangerous. It's exciting, yeah. but like it's dangerous. Your life expectancy yeah. is quite short, so something yeah. which is more, um, like away from trouble. I mean, I know he's looking after Luke, but like I'm talking about just stay away from things. The boss good. was pretty mean there, but I mean, other than that, yeah, it seemed pretty good. Kept yeah, to himself. Yeah. Seems what a nice people. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably go. I'd probably go with Sith acolyte. That's a pretty stable job too. It seems. Is it though? You get to, you get to wrap yeah, your but... face up. You get to chill. Matt, is it? You get to I give don't... people daggers. You get to show up. Like, hey, what's up? Yeah, but like you live in like Exegol, which is horrible. I would do that. True. It's like the worst planet to live on. Exegol in the Lego Star Wars game. I don't know if you've played it, Adam. Is uh, amazing. You should you should check right. it out sometime. But it's it's great. Okay. <laughs> we, we go visit, back. All visit the time your favorite place. Yeah, exactly. It like, it like sadly is. Um, okay, moving on a little bit. We're kind of diving into the book a little bit here. But um, how did you like essentially like approach the story knowing that ultimately it was going to be tragic for pretty much everyone involved? Yeah, so I kind of wrote it um, with the idea that even though we know what's going to happen in the book, and we know what's going to happen, well, not even in the book, but like we also know what happens to Luke and Lando in Rise of Skywalker. Um, none of the people in the book know they're in Star Wars, which kind of sounds obvious, but like they don't know what's going to happen. So right. I really just kept that in mind. That was like, especially you know, Dathan and Miramia, Ray's parents, who have a very tragic end. That is obviously going to happen. Like there's no stopping it. But they don't know that. So they're trying their best to uh, come up with a plan and a way to save Ray from this terrible fate that is coming and they know that like one mistake and it's all over they have to kind of be ahead of the game the whole time so i don't think having this kind of i don't think there's like an inevitability to the fact that it's a story that we know the ending because you don't really know the ending and like star wars as we know like the whole thing is built up of prequels and sequels and yeah. things that fit in little gaps and things but like that's absolutely fine um we know that obi-wan kenobi kills more in the desert but that doesn't lessen his appearance in solo um yeah. however yeah. story that many yeah and we know, i mean the ultimate thing is the prequel trilogy is like we know what happens to anakin he becomes darth vader so that still doesn't make the prequels look kind of worthless in terms of like telling a story so that was really yeah i was aware that yes it's sort of like a prequel novel in a way but it's also its own thing, and there's still a, a valid a validity to the story. Mm. Um, mm. And I tried to, like, you know, Nathan and Miramir, they die, spoiler. Um, but <laughs> they don't, they kind of, when it happens, it's like, it's a, it kind of just happens, it's a surprise to them. They kind of, as I said, they're making all these plans, and they don't even really make a mistake. It just kind of happens, because it happens that the ship they stole is being tracked by, by Pride. So by a racist, you know, so it's like, yeah. how can you even, how can you even plan for that? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh so, yeah. So then it just kind of happens. I, I kind of, I tried to make it a surprise for the reader. Like they're surprised, like that's it. Right. End of the road. Um, which, you yeah. know, it does not make I think it you literally say that in the book. <laughs> like, end right. Of the road. Yeah, end yeah. of the road, you yeah. know, it, yeah. um, um, speaking of like prequels yeah. and sequels and everything, what was it like? watching these sequel films and knowing you were going to write this book like i'm not sure when you knew you were going to be the one to write this story um but what was it like doing that and what was it like connecting the original trilogy to the sequels 
Yeah, so I think because um, I think Rise of Skywalker is like 2019, so yeah. this book didn't come out come about until 2021, 2020, 21. I kind of they had the Mandalorian in between. Uh, mm. I remember when I saw the Rise of Skywalker originally that scene where Lando tells Ray that he and Luke were on this quest to find Ochi, who had a clue to a wayfinder. Like that immediately struck me as an interesting kind of angle because, firstly, I never thought that Luke and Lando would kind of team up in a kind of buddy adventure because they're yeah. very different people and they don't really interact much. I mean, they do in the comics and books a little bit, but certainly in the original trilogy, they're, they're hardly even friends. Um, so I thought like that was really interesting. And then, of course, in the classic Star Wars tradition, that one line kind of spins out an entire story. Now, I found that fascinating when I saw the movie, and then like, okay, a year later, two years later, they say, you remember that line in Rise of Skywalker where Lando tells Ray, why don't you write that book? Mm-hmm. So I was just like, yeah, of course. Like, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that literally, that was the brief. It's like, we got this book you should write. It's just that line. So can you do a whole book? <laughs> it's like, because nobody, oh, nobody, wow. you know, nobody had any idea. So yeah, just kind of like um, get get more to it. To like spin off that as well, like the one of the biggest uh, pieces of this is Ochi of Bestoon, which we get Ochi in Rise of Skywalker, and then um, he's been really fleshed out in like the comic runs with Greg Pak and Charles Soule. Um, and yeah. so, and that's been like the past couple of years, like Ochi's been like really fleshed out, and he's become like a lot of like smaller like fan favorites. It's kind of like ridiculous how much of a fan favorite yeah. he is amongst like the comics and like books community. Um, but like. <laughs> What was like that entire process of like building Ochi? Like, did you like collaborate more like with like the other authors like to like really build him up, or was this like more of like your own bit, or like how was that process? So by the time I started to work on Shadow, uh, the Ochi, the main Ochi arc in the Vader comic, it was done. So um, I knew I instantly had to go back and kind of study the comic uh, to see what it was like, but also. I knew that he had to, at some point, change. Because when we see him in The Rise of Skywalker, we see him in The Rise of Skywalker, literally it's just a close-up of his face for like mm-hmm. two seconds. Yeah, uh, there's okay. actually more of him in the making of documentary. Um, strangely, we see him actually waist up. Um, yeah. And he's, a very, he's very different to how he is in the comic. So I wanted to have some kind of transition between the Ochi who's built up in the comic and the Ochi that we see in Rise of Skywalker or not Rise of Skywalker but you know it's a flashback to Shadow of the Sith basically yeah. knowing that that is like 20 years in the future so clearly he, he changed and something happened to him um, but yeah he's kind of he was really interesting because he's definitely not what you expect in the comic yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But then, but then, Rise of Skywalker. He's nothing. Like he's literally he's a face. That he's kind of you know scary looking, and he's got the dagger. That's all we know. He's even do more we, nothing. Um, he's just bones. Do we know? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. A pile of bones. Yeah. Do and we a know? speeder, like with a hood ornament. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, like that. Like fancy. Like Mercedes Benz Sith speeder that he's yeah. riding around. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, do we know where that original personality for Ochi like came from? Um, like I don't, I don't know if it was Charles Soule or, or Greg Pak because he had the original story with them. But I, like when J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio created him in Rise of Skywalker, I don't know if they necessarily thought he would be this um, colorful type yeah. of character. Just colorful guy flicking cocktail, yeah. you know, all of the people. <laughs> Basically, yeah. No, I think it probably came from maybe Greg Pak. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. But certainly, yeah, again, this is like classic Star Wars. Take a tiny character spin it out into a whole oh, yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And now um, he's like a fan favorite, so it's great. Ochi Bestoon yeah. is like Loki one of our favorite just like random side characters. Like like Sidon Ithano is like our main like favorite like guy, but Ochi is like a very yeah. close second. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh for yeah. sure. Well we do we do have possibly a secret Twitter uh with his name on it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's maybe. there's something out there. <laughs> but also he's like he's really fun to write because he's a mess and um, well, because I kind of yeah, like so I blended I blended the comic character with the uh, the vision that I had of like he's supposed to be this evil Sith assassin, 
tasked with the sacred mission of finding Ray. Um, but he's a kind of he's a he's a jerk in the comic, basically. So yeah. there's a point where like he's kind of both. So in the, in the book, he like he's a mess, but he has been reactivated and reinvigorated for this new mission. But he's still sliding into his old ways, and he drinks too much, and um, yeah. including engine coolant. And the blade was also affecting his mind. So yeah. he's, he was kind of fun. And especially like his two companions, Bosvaga and Serensko, who are, you know, they're, they're bigger idiots than he is. <laughs> but like, but they think that he's just, they, you know, they're kind of idiots and, they, and they're the kind of idiots where they think their boss is like this super villain. Um, yeah. But, it, but it, I love going back to the scene <laughs> It, the flashback scene in the Rise of Skywalker, and you can see them in the background, and yeah. they're like these just yeah. like big dumb lugs, and they're sitting there like, <laughs> like it's yeah, just great. Like, that's it. yeah. yeah. So, but that's the, that's the thing. It's like it was one of those things where I watched Rise of Skywalker twenty times, and especially those scenes you go through frame by frame, and I was like, wait a second, there's two people in the background behind Ray's parents. Like, who are they? What is going on? So mm-hmm. I kind of had to. To build them out. Oh, that's great. That's great. Something that um, took me by surprise, which shouldn't have, because I, I should have like picked up on this like before, but something that took me by surprise, like when like the first time we see Ochi in it was um, the fact that Dio even shows up, um, the little dread Dio. I don't I don't know why I was like thinking no he's not gonna show up, but I was so surprised just to see him and like thank you for like giving just like a little bit of backstory of like where he came from, yeah. like yeah. Well, because in you know in the Rise of Skywalker, Ray says that someone treated the destroyed very badly, um, yeah. and he's and kind of he like did. a little nervous thing. Yeah, yeah. and because Ochi is just a horrible, yeah, poor little guy. Sad story. Yeah, uh, I had a question about. Um, it didn't have to do with Dio, so I'm going to transition here. I guess uh, <laughs> we see Luke's temple in Last Jedi, and we see it in. What else we see it in? Rise of Kylo Ren comic, mm-hmm. and even that Lego special it was in, right? And but, Book of Boba, Book of Boba Fett. Fett. And Book of Boba Fett, right. That's the the, the beginnings one. of it. Don't forget. <laughs> the foundation of it. Um, and, it, you know, you, you got to reveal where it was in your book. What went into choosing Ossus, um, and how did that process go? <laughs> well, that one I can answer really easily is that I was told by Lucasfilm. Um, <laughs> it got to, well, well, it got to the point where... Everything was finished. And what I had in the original manuscript was it's quite a long book and just all the chapters. And I realized I really had to break it up and have like the location and the time because there's only a few flashbacks, but it kind of had to be really clear. And also because there's loads of characters, especially at the beginning, there's loads of setup. I mean, it's long, you know, each character kind of comes in. So I decided to do those location things. And it was like, I was just waiting for them to tell me where his temple is. Just you know, come on, somebody so answer the email. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it was like uh, Osis or Osis. Um, you say Osis. I say so, yeah. Osis too. I say Osis. I like yeah. I say Osis. I Osis I just Osis. sounds better. I but I hear Osis. I hear people say Osis. Osis. I, I read it because Osis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's in Legends, I know. And, and it has this also thing where it's kind of been um, like devastated. Yeah. So the fact that it's we see it as this kind of lush, you know, countryside pastoral yeah. sort of thing. So clearly there's some there's another story there where where Osis Osis is regenerated in some way. But it's cool because like again it's another connection. It kind yeah. of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So going back to Luke, I've had this question burning in my head since I read the book. Um, do you think that Luke recognizes Ray on Octo? It's interesting. So I watched the sequel trilogy, like literally last week, um, and in fact, that was the first time I'd watched it since I'd finished the book. And yeah, suddenly the all three films felt very different. And I I wrote the book, and I had that I had that kind of reaction, and that seems really interesting. And I think this is only my personal opinion because, like, we can't read into anything except what we see on screen. There's something when Luke sees her when she's holding the lightsaber and originally we kind of thought okay well he's obviously well first he's surprised that someone's found him but secondly she's got his lightsaber so clearly that was his reaction but then i kind of wonder now if there's something else in his mind in his eyes in that expression Mm -hmm. um 
But I don't know. And then The Last Jedi, this is the bit I actually had questions on like ages ago because Luke calls her Ray before she says what her name is. Because he says, oh, you know, so what are you doing here, Ray from nowhere or something like that? Can't remember the exact line. But to me, that was basically like, well, we're not seeing minute by minute every single interaction on the island. So there was clearly, you know, there's other stuff in any movie or TV show. There's other stuff that happens that we don't see. So that was not a big deal for me. Um, I guess in The Rise of Skywalker, when he's a Force spirit, he probably, I don't know, when you become a Force spirit, you commune with the universe and you learn all its secrets. So he probably knows by then. So, but it's interesting, definitely, to watch it. There's like you can interpret it in different ways, and I think that's Mark Hamill's amazing acting as well. Yeah. Like he has, he has in like five seconds. Like his expression doesn't even change, but he's one of those actors where it doesn't need to. It's like he has kind of a thousand emotions going across his face in one shot. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, he he had to make an impact in that movie. <laughs> He had no lines. <laughs> right, yeah. This is his moment, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Thinking thinking back to Luke's temple, because I'm, I'm, like, obsessed with Luke's temple. I'm, like, the Luke guy. I'm, like, obsessed with he's, Luke. He's he the is, Luke is. guy. Um, <laughs> but do you think that Luke plays it a little, like, fast and loose with the rules at his temple? Because, like, we see him kind of looking at Ben and being, like, you know, always trying his best, but, you know, it's not always, you know, 100%. So... He's kind of playfully, you know, kind of not scolding him, but correcting him and things. But it doesn't seem like that's like, you know, too strict when it comes to like, no, stop calling me uncle. Don't, you know, don't talk to me while I'm meditating, that kind of stuff. So do you think he's like a little loose with the rules, you know, the strict dogma of the Jedi? Yeah, he's sort of, he's definitely trying to adhere to those traditions of the Jedi Order. But those are traditions that obviously he has no experience of himself because uh, he's essentially a self-taught Jedi master by this point, kind of. You know, he's got the training in the original trilogy, but basically he's rebuilding this order from scratch himself um, and trying to follow what he thinks is the guidelines of the Force or the, the Jedi Order. So yeah, so definitely who's to say his interpretation of that strict discipline is actually correct? But also having a relative, like a close relative, like a nephew there, definitely like throws something into the mix. And well, we know what happens with Ben yep. and the temple and Luke. Um, so I clearly, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so like, yeah, there's something, I don't know if you can say Luke made a mistake, but like, there's different ways that Luke could have done it, and Luke chose a particular way of, of running his temple and building the order. And maybe that actually was the right way, but Ben is the issue because Ben is kind of special for different reasons, not just because he's a relative, but because there's the darkness in him. Um, well, the darkness that was then drawn out by Snoke, by the Emperor via Snoke. Hmm. Um, maybe that was a problem. Not actually, Luke was doing exactly what he was supposed to do, and like perhaps that fall was inevitable, um, because like Luke was played like what everyone else was. But I don't know. But yeah, I think some of people have said that he's really they feel sorry for Ben because like Luke is trying to push him away in the book. He's only Ben's only in a couple of chapters, but like Luke is really trying to keep a distance and trying to be like, I am the Jedi Master, you are my Padawan, and we do this properly. Um, but yeah, is he really scolding Ben? Because the, the smile arrives, yeah. you know. Um, I always read that as kind of like a leave... playful thing, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's happy to leave Ben in charge when he goes off with, you know, Los Antica. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I, love, I love that. His adventures with Los Antica. Oh, yeah, Lord's yeah. the best. Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started. I'll, I'll go on and on about well, that. It's actually... <laughs> I mean... Again, you watch The Force Awakens, the beginning, when uh, the First Order arrives on the planet and gets the, tries to get the map off Los Anteca, and, like, Ben is there. And now we know that they met. Well, like, we knew that they met in, uh-huh. you know, the Rise of Kylo comic, but, like, they knew each other. Hmm. So yeah. now that, mean, that meeting is a different feel to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
he's insulting him. Look how old you've become. That's so mean. Yeah. Yeah. So. This wasn't really, um, this wasn't our list, but this was just something I was taught while I was reading the book. I was talking to these two about it. Like, I was like, wait, is Lore Senteca named Lore be just because he knows like so much stuff? Like, is he literally named Lore? <laughs> these are the deep thoughts that we have. Like, that, that was the deep thought I had yeah. in like chapter five or something. Deep thoughts in the, in right. the Holland and Marauders group chat. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that was um, in there. You have to ask JJ Abrams that question. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, it's, I guess. who knows? Um, <laughs> But for your story, one of the questions I had was, who was your favorite character to write in this book? And like, if it was someone existing, like if it was Luke, if it was Lando, like who was someone new that you kind of created for this story? I kind of like Kaiser. I didn't create Kaiser because she's from the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig. And she first appears in, if I can look on my shelf, the second volume, which is called, can't see it. Life Dead. Life Dead, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she's done the interludes for that, and we kind of get a backstory. But again, like this is a little character which I expanded into to kind of be the main villain of the book. She was really cool because I could really lean into sort of Sith horror in a way. Um, even because I thought I had thought of like her kind of nest, which she she well, her lair in this kind of ruins of a separatist core ship, because being that huge. Um, actually, like like the like the fortress on Exegol, actually, the kind of idea that you have people kind of dwarfed by the architecture, um, and in fact, it was sort of inspired a little bit by the Universal Horror Dracula movie with Bela Lugosi, because in that, um, when you first see Dracula's castle and you meet Dracula and Harker, like out of the set is amazing, like they are t microscopic at the bottom of the screen, and there's this massive staircase and this kind of collapsing castle and like it's really visually amazing yeah so then when i when i realized that like that the her vault was like the vault but then i called it um the sepulcher which is very kind of like tomb and horror and things yeah. so that really led me into like let's go kind of dark with her and especially because she's kind of lost lost to the mask and she's also she's aware of that like she knows what's happening that she's been taken over, but like she can't do anything about it because her will is not strong enough. Um, and this power from, again, it's a very horror kind of thing, power from an ancient time, like way beyond what we know in Star Wars, you know, who knows when Exim Panshard actually existed. And in fact, the flashbacks yeah. with him are kind of like almost medieval deliberately yeah. because it's like, it was a, yeah, it was a, yeah, yeah, kind of caught. Yeah, you had him on so, back and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, like no, yeah. There was like no technology. But it's still got like lightsabers and technology because he builds he builds murder machines to like kill the entire oh, yeah. planet. So, um, that's really cool. So, cause Sith, the Sith really lean themselves to being horror-y, horror, horror, -y? horror, -y. yeah. Um, I, I, I yeah, love that, and like, kind of like so. Oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I know. I was just gonna say it's like because you can have, like, if you think that if Star Wars is science fiction, or some people say it's science fantasy, then the Sith are kind of like it's not magic, but it's like dark fantasy, like because they're kind of weird and they've got their arcane rituals and the rule of two and and stuff that's kind of magical, sort of sorcerers, you know, evil yeah. sorcerers, oh, yeah. but it's still science fiction. So they've got lightsabers and spaceships and droids and things. So that to me is what you can do in Star Wars is you can really, if you want to go in that direction, you can kind of, you know, go down the road. Yeah. So she was really cool. Yeah. In, in, a, in a battle droid and then send that, send that out. I love that. <laughs> that was like, right, that was like yeah. one of my favorite details. But again, it's like, well, it's kind of magical uh, in a way, the way that, but then it's also like, it's kind of, there's kind of there's some science and physics to it, the way that you can have like quantum entanglement and, and you know crystal resonance and that kind of thing which is actually too sciencey for star wars i could not put in any kind of jargon like that because that doesn't fit fit but it still works because yeah. they're kyber crystals and they resonate in the force so therefore they can they can like resonate with each other quick question about the kyber crystals on octo luke is wearing like a red kyber crystal around his neck yep. and like reading yep. this book i was almost like is that one of the crystals? Is that one of the crystals he got from uh, from his adventures yeah. in Shadow of the Sith? 
Yep, yep. And I don't know, maybe, I don't know if it's a shard from the main crystal or whether, because he has the mask. He takes the mask of XM mm. Panshard back to the temple. And it was kind of, because the mask at the end of the book becomes kind of crystalline. So it could be a shard from that. Um, I don't know why he's wearing it as a necklace. <laughs> like it's a blade card crystal. Why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. It was a kind of like a reminder of a bit like the um, amulet that Miramir wears that belongs to Dason. It's like yeah. it's an evil symbol, yeah. but it's a reminder of the past in a in a kind of good way. Yeah. So that could be it. Well spotted um, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's always spotting things like oh, the necklaces and whatnot. Um, I think that in in I I loved like reading about like the Sith finally. Like we haven't really gotten like an exploration like into like the Sith like in like this like new era of like canon Star Wars novels. Um, and so like this is essentially like setting the tone for like the Sith like in like this era in like this new bit. But like what like what else can you tell us about like the acolytes of the Beyond and like the Sith in general, like their, their current state? <laughs> um, it's a yeah. I don't know. It's like, again, watching The Rise of Skywalker, I was struck by, and this is way before the book or anything, like, struck by the fact that there's a planet full of Sith. And, like, when you see them, like, chanting at the Emperor, there's thousands of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thousands of acolytes. So somehow they could hide on this planet in such numbers. So, and this goes back to the whole thing of, like, the arcane power of the Sith. It's like, well, clearly... They have much more power than we... They have much more power than we thought, but also even to the people in, in Star Wars, like Luke. I mean, Luke is troubled by visions of Exegol and he has this feeling that this evil is coming, which is really the echo of uh, Egon Panchard rather than the, the Sith on Exegol, although they're kind of connected. But there's clearly, like... Everyone thinks they're like well, like Lando when he he first hears about the Sith, and everyone thinks they're dead. They go to the New Republic, and the New Republic are like, "What are you talking about? Sith are long gone." Yeah. When in fact they've always been there and are always working behind the scenes. And we know now that, of course, the Emperor was building a massive fleet. In fact, he's building the fleet almost, I think, from when he became Emperor, because we see in yeah. the comic, in. Uh, when actually when Ochi Bestian and Vader visit Exegol and like they've got this huge mountain of Kyber crystal to power the ships. And that's set between Empire Strikes Back and Trina Jedi. So yeah. like the whole idea that the Sith really you think, oh there's two of them and then that's it and they're kind of dark. Well Darth Sidious took over the whole galaxy and there was just two of them. And then everyone thinks they're dead and there's a massive fleet so it's like they're, they're way more dangerous and powerful than, than we think. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and it's probably foolish for the good guys to kind of just think they're dead. You know, oh, they're gone. Emperor's dead. Yeah. I, yeah. That's just one of those moments, like, I found so amusing that, like, everyone's just like, yeah, this is, like, no big deal. And, like, Luke just kind of, like, drops it at the end. And we're just like, but, but, but we, we know it's out there. And it's just like, come on, dude. Like, you, you, you're really well, close. You know. But, like... It goes back to they're living it, so they, they don't know that it's coming. Right, yeah. Which is yeah. important to remember. Exactly. Yeah, and also, exactly. yeah, like, spoiler for the end of the book, almost, but, like, that, with the, with the defeat of Ix and Panchard and Kaiser, um, because Luke had such strong visions and a sense of the disturbance in the Force, it's like when that is gone... It's almost like the ringing in your ears after a concert or something. Like sometimes that silence can be louder than in your mind, louder than what caused it. So the so afterwards, he's like he's reaching out with the fourth, try and make sense of things, but he can't hear for the bit, better terms. You know, he can't hear anything because yeah. he's got that ringing in his ears after his ringing in his fourth ears shall we say, after his mm. um, experience. So, yeah, they're kind of like, well, mind you, he grabs his flight suit at the end and is off on another adventure. I love that you, like, incorporated yeah. that. Like, as, like, as like a big, like, costume nerd, like, within, like, Star Wars, um, I love how that was, like, literally mentioned, how, like, he wore his flight suit um, 
to Tython, and then he switched into his like other like Jedi outfit, and I was like, that's yeah. that's oh, such, yeah. like a fun little detail. Like he he wore the flight suit again. I'm just like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I love I, to just like yeah. hear that. <laughs> I love the detail that he wore like shorter Jedi robes so yeah. that it was more comfortable <laughs> to to put the flight suit on. So, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, he's a pilot, right? So even before he yeah. started training as Jedi, he wanted to be a pilot, and he joins the Rebel Alliance, blows up the Death Star, and then when we see him in the beginning of the Empire Strikes Back pre-Jedi, he's he's like a really competent rebel officer and a pilot. So he's like, you know, he's got that ingrained in him now. So he's like, yeah, of course, you wear your flight suit in your X-Wing. Yeah. Uh, and you wear your shorter Jedi robes because you can put the flight suit at the top. Yeah. Like, it just seemed obvious that he'd do that. Exactly. Really, he's not uh, like yeah. Obi-Wan who just jumps into a, jumps into a starfighter in his robes <laughs> and is like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. No respect. No respect yeah. for the starship. I really wanted to yell at the uh, the New Republic officers and the Lando, the two guys that, like you just said, the two guys that blew up the Death Star, one and two, come to come yeah. to help and they're like, no, we don't want to help you guys. Like, I, I love that. Yeah. Lando was literally just like poking his finger in everybody's chest like, look, I blew up the Death Star too. Can you like, yeah. can you do and something? Like, yeah. Make an appointment. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Lando has absolutely no respect for the bureaucracy of it all. He's... <laughs> He can't no, just show no, up. No. Who does he think he is? <laughs> um, Matt, do, you had some questions about X and Panchart. I know you wanted to ask, right? Um, well, yeah, I mean, did you... Obviously, we got, like, a pretty good look at X and Panchard as a character, you know, with the flashbacks and all, which I thought were really cool. Um, but were there, like, any ideas or concepts for Exum that didn't exactly make it into the book? Was there anything that, like, you had in your mind where you're like, ooh, you know, let me see if I could do this and it didn't, didn't work out? Or No, I think this book is unusual in that most of what I had thought of I actually got in the book. Um, and I did that by making it super long, like, way longer than I was supposed to. And, in fact, it was, like, two weeks before it was due in, I emailed my editor and I'm like... Just to let you know, this book is way too long. But I think you'll like it. But it's too long. So just prepare yourself. Um, but I, yeah, but that also allowed me to put in kind of everything that I kind of wanted. Um, I think with Exum Panchard, he was always this presence. He's the shadow of the Sith. So, uh, yeah. In fact, it's almost like I thought the way he takes over Kaiser at the end and again, this is a kind of horror possession thing. Um, like, even I thought maybe they'd make me cut it. But no, it kept it all in. Um, and I think with the flashbacks as well, it's like, I didn't want to like overdo it. Because that thing of like the just little snippets that you see are kind of scarier than a whole thing. So, you know, Luke just has those little flashes um, of... Panchard's reign of terror and, well, and, the, and the making of the mask. Um, just enough to like make you think that, yeah, he was nasty when he was alive. <laughs> so when he's yeah. dead, he's like even worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah the, uh, those flashbacks were, I mean, I, that was one of my favorite parts of the book, I think. Getting that medieval vibe that you mentioned. I'm happy. Was, yeah. Absolutely. And I love that, like, in Empire's End, in, in the Aftermath uh, novel, Empire's End, you know, Yuk Tashu just kind of casually mentions, oh, yeah, this is a mask of uh, Viceroy Exum Panshard. And he just kind of gives it to Kaiser. And, you know, that's it, you know. And it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> There's more to it. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, yeah. come on. You can't just can't just drop that. Um, well, and, and also, yeah, cause with, well, with, with yeah, that, it's, it's like he, he knew exactly what the mask was. Yeah. But that also meant that he knew he couldn't wear it because obviously he wanted to gain power again or to take over, but he needed a puppet to do it. So that's why he gave her the mask, thinking that he could then manipulate her, like wield her as a weapon because she would be kind of sacrificed to that power. So yeah, so he's like, yeah, it's just a mask. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. It and good. here's a lightsaber. Yeah. And, you know, go, yeah. go, do, go do bad stuff. I'll be here. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. Man. <laughs> It was so cool to see those <laughs> breadcrumbs picked up from Aftermath. I know um, yeah. Matt recently reread it recently. Um, yeah, when, and, you know, when this you know, novel was first announced, that was the first thing I did was I went back and I reread okay. all the Aftermath novels and then Bloodline um, just to get like a feel. Because you, 
you do a really good job of setting up like po like you do a really good job of not only like setting up and, and living within the space, but also fleshing out like post Return of the Jedi Star Wars uh, in canon has like a certain feel to it. Um, and I think you really like it was like the perfect puzzle piece that just kind of like kind of like slots right in there, fills in a lot of gaps, like expands things. Um, so like I'm like infinitely grateful that I read those books before reading this one because it just it was like perfect, you know, like reading this oh, one, cool. it was like. Yeah, I hadn't missed a beat. Everybody, you guys, I I don't know how much collaboration there is, but you guys really do a good job of of just kind of like working with each other, even if you're not, you know, actually working with each other. Like you guys, it I don't know, it just works. It's it's yeah. hard to yeah. describe. Oh, cool! I'm glad it does. Yeah, um, yeah, because Chuck's a friend of mine. We actually have the same agent. That's how I got into Star Wars in the first place. Um, wow! So I got an introduction through him. But yeah, and it was just one of those things where like, well, you know, there's so much in Aftermath that is good, that not only is good, but like can lead to other stuff. You know, we've already had Cobb Vanth and, and yeah. Book of Boba Fett, etc. Mm -hmm. So Kaiser and the Acolytes of the Beyond, it's like, well, that's, again, it's like a whole, in a little interlude, it introduces a whole new world. Yeah. Um, so it made sense to that use was, her and, and them. That was the thing about those novels, is that those interludes are dangerous because they, they introduce like all these different little concepts and it's just like a tiny little vignette. And it seems, you know, you and, you know, Dave Filoni and John Favreau and, and other authors and, and creators in this time period, they take little tiny pieces, just take the little tiny interludes out and they yeah. flesh them out. And that's like the perfect that. setup. Yeah. 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 And Star Wars is good because Star Wars is so huge uh, that you can do that. You know, that's the great thing I love about it. It's such a, a massive creative canvas for doing any kind of story because Star Wars itself, you know, the original movie, it's like, um, it's a Western science fiction movie. It's a samurai movie. It's a swashbuckling adventure. It's pulp science fiction. Um, it's all of these things together and it really works. And, but that also means you can take that and spin out into whatever kind of story you want that fits within Star Wars. Yeah. And whether that is creating star, like Star Wars horror, a little, a little bit in shadow, or taking little characters and or interludes or whatever, and like creating something new, exploring that. Um, it's great. It's such flexibility. So creatively, it's really uh, cool to have that kind of opportunity. Yeah, I one thing that like you mentioned it like earlier, how like there's always like a one little line or like one little seed getting planted in like a movie or another book, obviously, and then you can just like build off of that, but. You also like tucked things in as well, like put stuff in like your own book as well, like like the Pasana beads, for instance, like that like blew my mind first of all because I'm like, well, Ray gets my <laughs> necklace when she goes to Pasana, different one, but I was like, oh, the beads. Um, but like, you you took literally every era was somehow like referenced. Like we have Old Republic reference, we have the High Republic reference, the Clone Wars are mentioned, like. What would what would you say was like one of your favorite little like things you slid in there from like another era within this book? Um, I was quite well. I was quite pleased with the higher public mention. Um, yeah, with the the targons, like, the the big cats. Targon, yeah, yeah, because yeah, they were really cool. Because that actually came from you remember, I think it's Kevin Scott's novel. They did that um, like super collector's edition from out of print. And it had that kind of gatefold poster cover, mm -hmm. yeah. which is like the kind of thing you'd see on the side of a van in the seventies, kind of thing, like totally <laughs> yeah. outrageous. Yeah, yeah. and it had the targon. It's back battle. there on my bag. Oh wow! Oh yeah, Matt got that one. Yeah, I wish I had a copy, but I remember the targons kind of leaping into battle. It's like, yeah, I got to use one of those. So I was like, I hadn't read it. So I was missing Kevin going, okay, what are those big cats with four eyes? Trying to describe it, it's like our yeah. title. Um, yeah. So that was really cool. Yeah. Because I think I didn't like everything that you mentioned. References loads of things. Um, I didn't do it just to kind of like have a checklist of video games or comics or books or whatever. Everything that came in there was kind of there for a reason, and it was you know kind of organic. Yeah. Like you know, Shriv Shriv is in the book because. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, but like he, but like Lando would go to him because he's a contact and a really useful one. Yeah, like it made, made sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah like the High Republic, 
the little references were there, um, but like they made yeah. sense when like they were in there, which is like what made them like so much better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I do love it in all Star Wars when we can kind of um, bring everything together. You know, so the High Republic was probably the most conscious one because I wanted to draw something from the High Republic into the Star Wars that we know. But even it's like the whole classic thing of, you know, where was Ahsoka during the original trilogy? So it's like, um, it's a good question. Okay. Yeah, well, but it's like, okay. but then, but and like, where did the, if if Krennic and the Empire have death troopers in Rogue One? Why aren't there any death troopers in the original trilogy? But the fact that you can then use them in something else, which kind of like draws them across timelines into mm-hmm. different storytelling forms, whether it's a comic or a book or TV or something. Like I love it when death troopers turn up in comics. It's like yes. Yeah. Of course, Vader uses the troopers, you know. Yeah. Um, and we got Ahsoka in, well, in Book of Boba Fett. <clears throat> so, like, yeah. she's there. She was there doing something. And maybe we'll find out what it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And, Comat, it, it makes, and you, you say makes sense, but it makes perfect sense that Comat, of all characters, would have a Targon, just like yeah, going with yeah. her. Like, it, I, I absolutely love Comat. She's, like, my favorite new character um oh, introduced cool. in the book like just in general the way you oh man the, that backstory with her and luke um there's just there's a story there that i really want this is a, dying yeah. for it like <laughs> you don't know how much i'm like i keep thinking of this you know him coming in contact with the acolytes of the beyond meeting comet there's probably some kind of you know conflict in there that eventually he purifies her, her saber crystal like that's all of that is just so cool. Um, so I'm dying. And this is like the rise. Of, yeah, this is like the rise of Skywalker, where Lando says, "Oh yeah, we went chasing Ochi of Bestoon." Yeah. To find so you get to do it that. too. I have the story. So yeah, Luke is like, "Oh yeah, I knew Comet from way back because I purified her lightsabers." <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like it's a whole thing. Come on, wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I actually have like a quick question about Comet. I have a lot of questions about Comet, but I have one question in particular that just something that stood out to me. Um, and I don't know if it was purposeful or what, but when we first meet her, she shows up, you know, she has her suit on, obviously. Um, and she has this like metal, she has this like silver helmet, right? Cause that's what you wear on the planet. And it has this like blue text written on it. And it doesn't seem like they really recognize what the text is. Um, cause it's just kind of like this mysterious blue scribbling, like right on the front mirrored visor. Um, yeah. And the way I saw that, uh, very reminiscent of Ren from the Knights of Ren, yeah. who also has like a mirrored helmet, but his script is red, but he writes like this script on the front of his visor. Um, and I was wondering if that, if there was like any connection, like conscious or otherwise, or if, it, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably coincidental because um, the idea with Comat was that like that is her kind of prayer of forgiveness. And in mm. fact, when when she wears the mask again, when they're, they're burying Dathan and Miramir, like she has a different script on the front of her mask. Yeah. Um, and yeah, actually, Ren has a kind of mask with the writing on it too. Maybe, I mean, I don't know, influenced it's, it's subconsciously perhaps. She has but, blue uh, script, he has red script. It yes. means it's an evil Well, that's prayer. completely different. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, I'm telling you. But again, like, is there a story? Wow. Is there a story there? Is there a connection somewhere? Maybe there is. Yeah. No, that's another story. Who knows? Another a good good story for another time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. As uh, as Maz would put it. Oh, that was, oh. Comet was so cool. And so was like the the relationship between Lando and and Comet as you know as he got to know her and everything. So. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Oh, I love I, I love that you know Lando's he exiles himself with her, and they like barely talk or like interact at all. But I love that like. Yeah, it was the hot, yeah. the hot chocolate sold them. Oh yeah, hot was the chocolate. Hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big deal. Uh. I think that um, just like for for me, like one of my like favorite moments uh, was getting to see Ray actually interact with her parents and actually getting to know her parents because uh, Dathan and Mary Mary were both incredible and they they Ooh. loved Ray so much and it. Oh my god. Like I, I I got very emotional pretty much every single time there was a chapter with the two of them with the three of them um 
because they they did everything for her and it, it just it just meant a lot um and i love how like the first time we we see ray that one of the first things she says is mama i'm hungry and it's like <laughs> right and it's just like that's that's what she's doing on jakku is just working to get her food and it's just oh i got i got a lot of emotions about that because ray is like ray is my favorite and getting to actually see like it expanded on has just been like really fulfilling finally yeah cool they are yeah they're a great family uh, you know, I mean, Dathan and Miramir is one of those their characters that they existed, like they they were in Rise of Skywalker, but in a way they didn't exist because they didn't even have names or anything. So I had to kind of create everything. Um, but yeah, they're just trying to do their best. Um, and I think it was important that, um, like Miramir knew who Dathan was and where he came from. There's like no secrets or anything, and it was really just kind of we're all in it together, trying to get out of this. Um, but yeah, and then little Ray with the blanket. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And her little headphones. Yeah, yeah. No, no. And the fact that Miramir had the game on the NAV computer that she could play, like out, you know, home entertainment on in a car. It hurts. You really, oh man, you really did a number on me. I'm just gonna say that. That really hurt. I know. Really did. Every time we go to watch these films now, we're going to, which is good oh, to man. back to the book and be sad about it. It's different. It. it really, it feels different. Yeah. In a good way. In a painful way. All the above. <laughs> it's, it's all pain, but it's okay. It's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, guys, do you have any other questions that you have offhand? Well, well I... I... I sort you of did. had one that wasn't on our list. Is that like, is that allowed? It was just something I just thought of. And I'm like, why didn't we ask this? It's, yeah. I think it's a safe one. Um, where'd you come <laughs> up with the names, uh, Dathan and Mirror Mirror? Oh yeah. Um, well, so Dathan is, is just a name I've always had in my mind. I was at school with someone called Dathan and maybe it's more common in the States, but in New Zealand, that was the only person I ever knew and had ever met called Dathan. And I just thought it was a cool name. I'll I've tell never you, it's heard um, anyone in the state. It's not common. Well, when it, when, it's a cool name. Because when the, the uh, USA Today ran that excerpt, which has their names revealed for the first time, and I suddenly got all these messages from people called Dathan on Twitter. Going, oh, yeah, how dare you, you use Dathan? You brought him out of the woodwork. That's huh. yeah. You brought him out of the shadows. Uh, uh, but it's funny, it's like Dathan, my friend Dathan, I mean, I lost, I haven't, I've lost touch 30 years ago, so it's like... Uh, if he's out there somewhere, like I really hope he likes Star Wars because he's got a <laughs> he's got a Wikipedia page now. So um, yeah, he should probably hit me up for a free book or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and Miramir Miramir was um, well because I wanted something kind of fan fantasy ish, like kind of like a maybe Lord of the Rings vibe, yeah. Elven yeah. Yeah. thing. Definitely because Lord I knew her, type, yeah, and her planet is kind of magical twilight forest of yeah. yeah so funny enough i was doing something on online and there's a place in new zealand called miramar which is a suburb of wellington and i think that's actually where weta workshop is and peter jackson's studios complete coincidence but i had mistyped it as miramir and i just thought oh that's really cool i should use that for something <laughs> so that's how it came out which is like completely boring but um that's how you do it sometimes. That's really cool, though. Especially with the inspiration, love... how it accidentally happened. Yeah. yeah. I love hearing about the names in Star Wars. Like, Scarif was named after, like, um, Gareth Edwards got, like, a Starbucks drink. And they thought they said Scarif, not Gareth. <laughs> so, like, anything goes with the naming of Yeah, no. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the accidental uh, one, which is really good. Yeah, you can try so hard yeah. to think of something really cool and never get it. And then oh, it yeah. just happens. Yeah. yeah, like uh, Cydodius and Cyphodius. Oh, literally, um, in episode two, it was in, in Attack of the Clones. It wasn't supposed to be Cyphodius. It was supposed to be Cydodius. It was just supposed to be Sidious. But he mistyped it to Cyphodius, and he decided to just make a, new, a whole new character. And and then, right. that's, yeah. I just love I love that. <laughs> like that's yeah. Star Wars naming to a T. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but while we're on Dathan and Miramir, I just had one one quick question that. I think has a has a lot of baggage, so it might not be that quick of a question. But do you think 
Do you think Dathan knows that his father is alive? Yes. Oh, he does. Yes. Because yeah. that's, that's the thing where um, define alive because. Well, true. Yeah. So, so I think it was a Pablo Hidalgo when I was talking to him about it. He's like saying he, he defined it as, yeah, the emperor is between distillations. Um, or de- yeah, or almost between undead, right? Like he's a zombie. Yeah, he's, because, a, he's undead. Yeah. So they're making various experimental clone forms for him on Exegol. And we, you know, Snoke was some kind of clone because we see Snoke in a bottle, you yeah. know, yeah, bubbling away. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So Dathan, the thing about Dathan is that he kind of, he aged naturally. So he was created as this kind of, not really, well, genetic strand cast rather than a clone, kind of a bit different. But, uh, so he like existed for, like he's, I think he's 30 in the Rise of Sky, in um, Shadow of the Sith, so take that back to however long it was. So he, yeah, he was obviously around when the, the Empire existed. And then when um, he flees Exegol before yeah. Return, uh, of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but I think he, yeah, he definitely knows because like he knows kind of what's going on in Mexico. Yeah. Um, like why else would the Sith yeah. be after him? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. So he's like he leaves Exegol, takes someone else's name, tries to hide, and then as he meets Miramir and they have Ray, but they're still hiding. Yeah. He's like, let's not let's settle down on Jakku. It's like no, we're going to hide on Jakku because the Emperor is going to get them, or he's going to try and find them. So he knows even if he's not. Yeah, he's not 100% like, well, the Emperor fell down the thing and then his spirit was forced transferred to a clone body and then, you know, in the Rise of Skywalker, that clone body is falling apart. So there's probably, there was another one between, you know, because the cloning, this whole thing, it's like, that's why he was created. He was created to be a vessel for the, the Emperor, but it didn't work because he didn't have any force powers. So they've been trying to create the perfect clone. And then, of course, the Emperor realizes that while well, Ray is actually the perfect vessel and that was kind of his plan of like letting Dathan live because it's like well this is an experiment let Dathan live maybe let him escape Exegol see what happens and maybe that will actually lead to the perfect vessel which is Ray. Um, of course the Emperor doesn't know that Ray and Ben are died in the force um, yeah, he discovers that in the right Skywalker when he's confronting them um, but yeah, Dathan knows. It's a funny thing. Like he's the only person in the galaxy, apart from all the thousands of Sith Eternal, that know that the Emperor is like is alive and around. Yeah. But he can't do anything about it. Like he says, he can't trust anybody. He can't go to the New Republic. The Jedi are dead. You know, what's yeah, he gonna exactly. do? Hide. I could just, I could yeah. just see him like sitting down on the couch, turning on the news, and it's like, oh, Death Star Two blew up. Emperor's dead, and he's like. No, probably not. No. Like you said, like, ah, I don't think so. It's almost like, yeah, actually, like that's the point, perhaps, where it's like, okay, now we really have to hide because, you know, the Emperor is dead, everyone thinks, is like the worst thing because knowing what he knows about what happens on Exegol, yeah. it's like, this is it, okay, this has now got even more dangerous. Because before the Emperor was like ruling the galaxy, uh, now he's. he's <laughs> And this is this is a speculation. It's all my personal speculation. But like now, <laughs> yeah. after his death, he's like super into the Sith stuff. This is like okay, time for resurrection and rebirth, and <laughs> taking over the galaxy again, which makes it more dangerous for Dathan and Miramir. Not that Dathan and Miramir know that Ray is um, what what the purpose of Ray will be, right. but they know that they're after her. They're after Dathan. They think. But they're also after Ray, so yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot, of, yeah, a lot of baggage going on there. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, yeah. Matt, you you have made us go over time. No, it's fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, what it's fine. Um, time. but but yeah, I I want to thank you, Adam. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, and thank you so much for getting the opportunity to write this book, obviously, um, because we adore it so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, so I think the last thing here is, uh, where can people find you on social media so they can check out what you're up to, what your next projects are and whatnot? 
Yeah, someone on Twitter is uh, Ghost Finder, um, which is also Star Wars canon. I'll be looking up on Wikipedia. Going back to Aftermath. Yeah, totally. Look that up. And then I'm on Instagram as Adam Christopher Writer, which is not canon. Far less interesting username. Um, <laughs> that would be a very awkward uh, cameo. <laughs> and then uh, my website is um, adamchristopher.me. Uh, so yeah, that's where people can find me. Perfect. We will yeah. we'll link everything, and I just want to thank you again. Uh, so on behalf of the guys, thank you so much. Um, you can find Holland Marauders everywhere on the social medias at Holland at Marauder, just on Twitter, and then it's Holland at Marauders everywhere else. Um, thank you so much for listening to the Holland at Marauders podcast. Um...